Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. Enough to have Sinead Noon and welcome, Sinead. Um... You are probably one of the most recommended and most wanted runners to hear from, especially in WA at the moment. Yeah, you really are running hot. So uh, I have you down winning your second state title in your adopted state of WA. And then most recently, the 10K at the Bridges. So congratulations on the Bridges win first of all, but um, and also on your state title. So oh, is would you call WA home now? Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've been coming here for quite a while, um, probably the last decade um, since I've been with my partner, Michael, who's from Perth. So I moved over about two years ago now. Um, and it, yeah, it sort of pretty quickly felt like home because I was pretty familiar with, with the area. And yeah, it does feel like home now. <laughs> and I suppose a lot of people who might have Googled you or tried to find out a bit more information, one of the first things that will come up will be your cycling career. So to give everybody a bit of a snapshot as to who you are, do you want to give us a, a background in sport? So, you know, touch on your cycling and now running and then maybe even career-wise, what field you sit in? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so, yeah, I did used to be a cyclist for quite a long time. Um, I started cycling when I was about uh, 13, 14, um, just through a, a talent ID program at school. And... Yeah, sort of just dabbled in it throughout my teenage years and then toward the end of school um, started to get a little bit better. I was sort of always just middle of the field when I was younger. Um, and then my first year after school, I made the Junior Worlds team and it just sort of took off pretty quickly from there. And um, I raced, I was with the AIS squad. So we used to have a, uh, an Australian Institute of Sport female squad and we were based in Italy for a large part of the year and traveled around and I did that from when I was 18 until I was 21 um and yeah then I came home I sort of uh came home to finish off university and I I kind of fell into running I guess um I had I'd done a bit of running when I was younger um I'd been to a cross-country nationals as I think maybe like an 11 or 12 year old and had done a lot like a lot of sports when I was a kid so I'd always run a bit and cycling for for any of your listeners that are cyclists or do a bit of cycling it's pretty time consuming um the training does take up a lot of time so I sort of transitioned a bit at uni for the first couple of years I still cycled but picked up a bit of running just to maintain my fitness and then I guess over time really like accidentally I the, the balance sort of fell more to running as I got busier at uni and I just just really loved running and sort of never went back to cycling accidentally. <laughs> and uni-wise, you studied physiotherapy? Yeah, I studied physiotherapy. So I graduated, I always, I always forget actually the exact year. I think 2016 was either my last year at uni or my first year working. So I've been a physio for four or five years now. Um, and yeah, I was working initially in private practice. And then when I moved across to Perth, I went into aged care sort of for what I thought would be a temporary move because we were we were traveling a lot still because my partner uh, was a professional cyclist still at the time 
Um, and I actually sort of really kind of found myself loving aged care. So that's what I, that's what I do now. And I'll probably do for the foreseeable future. It's a pretty good, um, a good industry and a good career uh, to pair with running as well. And did you know, I suppose, even when you were younger, you know, even through school that, that, or what was the moment that made you select that as a, as an area? Uh, for career um you know a lot of people grow up and go i want to be this and but if they are into sport they can see on tv and go well i I might not be an athlete but how can i how can i get as close to and a lot of the times that will be the the way to do it um how when did it hit home that that's what you wanted to do yeah it's funny because i i didn't actually go into physiotherapy with with dreams of being like a sports physio or anything like that it was it was sort of simply I kind of knew I wanted to do a job where I was working with people and helping people. Um, and then also I've always been like a pretty active, energetic person. So I just sort of looked at industries where I'd be on my feet for a lot of the day and doing stuff. And um, I sort of thought about medicine for quite a while, but then because cycling had just become such a big part of my life, I just knew that I wanted to pursue that and kind of knew that medicine's a, a career that, kind of really takes over um your life so yeah physio I guess was kind of the next best thing that's that's pretty much what why I chose it oh nice and how how has it assisted your let's say athletic career both um yeah I suppose like right now how do they work hand in hand and then what were some of the what have been some of the benefits to it yeah it's funny because a lot of people ask that and they sort of assume that given that you have a background in health and uh, I guess injury management and prevention that you sort of have an upper hand. But I think really like sometimes it can actually be the other way. I found a lot of the time you can kind of pick up if you're getting sore or you're getting a niggle, you're sort of pretty good at identifying what it is. But myself and a lot of physios I know actually, I don't I think I think we tend to think because we have the knowledge, we've got some like sort of secret inside knowledge and that we're immune to injuries but um so I would say it's more probably just experience with injury that's taught me anything and I guess I mean you do have a good knowledge of what types of uh treatments or interventions or management are going to work for what types of injuries so it has it has helped in that aspect and maybe maybe just like having good medical contacts so you know who's a who's a good doctor to go and see or where, where to get your scans. That's probably been <laughs> the most useful thing. And then what type of, I, I, you know, you've been injured and what type of patient are you then? Like, are you somebody who's a stickler to the one percenter and things that you would tell clients or a lot of the times that we don't do the things we know, um, but is there yeah. a pressure on you? I think, I think as a, as a patient, I used, I used to be very impatient actually. Um, but I think having had a a few big injuries now, I've sort of learned that, um, you do have to be just a bit more relaxed with things. And I sort of take this on board now with my clients in that we sort of always know there's average healing times or certain management approaches that are best, but really everyone's an individual and the same thing that works for someone you get someone with the exact same presentation and it just won't work for them. And everyone's different with healing times and things like stress and life outside of training can have such a a big impact, sometimes more of an impact than the actual training itself. So yeah, I guess I've, I've definitely learned that through my own injuries and I certainly um, 
incorporate that into um, treatment plans I've given other people. And I guess it's sort of being injured has actually really helped me to become a better physio because you kind of people tend to listen if you are speaking from a place of experience rather than just textbook nice um so we can backtrack to your cycling a bit how did you how did you know you were good at it and then what steps did you have to take so was it a specific cycling product did you almost plan the pathway or was the pathway there for you like you know as a 10 year old were you into cycling and that was your hopes and dreams or was it via another test where you were picked up from a talent identification program and said hey like I know sassy I think that's what they tend to do um, even with yeah. rowers and cyclists did they go you're hitting all the markers for a great cyclist come and do cycling yeah yeah sure that's that's exactly how I got in so I, I don't have any um family cyclists any cycling history in our family at all it was it was purely um that the yeah the south australian sports institute came to our school did a whole raft of physiological testing like the beep test the vertical jump height weight agility all that stuff and yeah they they certainly have programs for sort of those different sports that you don't get into through school like volleyball cycling um kayaking all that sort of thing and yeah i did did the testing they come and do it with everyone and then if you show aptitude for some certain tests they do a second round and then I got a letter saying we'd like you to come and try cycling and I actually wasn't at all interested to be honest <laughs> to begin with I thought that's a bit of a weird sport I've never like even considered that and um my parents were like oh you know it's a good opportunity and it's a it's actually a funny story it's a I think it's a, it was a six or an eight week like come and try period and it was all out at the velodrome um north of Adelaide and I was really, really terrible, to be honest, like um, both on the bike testing and on the velodrome because it's a very um, sort of strength um, and pure power-based sport, the track stuff. So I actually had a, a friend who missed – she missed the testing days at school. I think she was away, and her dad was a keen cyclist, and he sort of asked my dad if we could put a word in and get her to – come to the come and try which they let her do because there's not many people that are keen to cycle like not many 13 year old girls anyway and um but she came out and she was actually quite good so they did all the testing and they were going to they after the testing they take on like I think eight or ten kids and they were going to kick me out because my my raw power was just atrocious but they wanted to pick my friend and the coach told me afterwards he felt guilty picking my friend and not me so they just thought, oh, we'll let her just join the squad because she's so bad. She won't be around for long anyway. And that was my start in cycling. <laughs> wow. And when you came home, that you know, that first day after testing and well, obviously your parents are aware that this is happening. Did you yeah. think they look back now and or have they said to you, we just never thought that you'd be interested or, you know, or did were you the type of family where you just almost tried everything and it just saw where it went? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm one of four, so we, my, we were always a very busy household. So actually, I'm not sure about cycling really how it's it's very strange that it all worked out because it was like a lot. I remember it being like an hour long drive each way to the track and like having four kids, we were always so busy. So we all tended to do the same sports like netball, athletics, football. Um, 
so I don't know I think my parents just thought oh it's a really cool opportunity you've been picked you should just see it out and uh, yeah my parents were very like that with everything just give it a go see it out and the worst thing that can happen is you just learn you know learn about sport learn about yourself whatever um so yeah we we didn't know that we didn't really know that I was that terrible. I kind of knew because I was always at the back of the pack, but we didn't know I was that bad at the track stuff until like a year's on the coach told us. So we, we started road cycling about two months in um, and I just had just good endurance. So from the get go, I was pretty good at the road cycling. So, so I think if I had only done the track, it probably would have just been like those three months and I never would have touched the bike again. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was the road stuff that I was good at. So yeah. I was lucky we did that. <laughs> and then link it into your running. Um, we'll obviously talk about how you, I suppose with you when running, everybody just thinks because we're hearing about you now that you just decided one day to wake up and go run. But as you mentioned, you know, you did um, cross country and running was always there. So jumping into it was not brand new. But with your cycling and now you're running, when did you have that, I'm not bad at this moment? And you know, I know you mentioned your coaches and, but yourself, when did you have that self-belief that you, you were good at both of these things? Yeah, sure. Um, cycling, cycling was funny. It took quite a few years with cycling because the, the cycling, like probably from when I was 14 until I was about 16, it was just fun. Like we had a great group of friends and we would just ride every weekend and finish our ride at someone's house and swim or go to the beach or whatever so it was really just a social thing um and then it was I sort of throughout my under 17 year which is like you getting towards the older age groups I was always like thereabouts like I just kept coming fourth and fifth and everything so I knew that I was okay but I never really thought that I would be anything special and I decided in year 12 to um take the year off cycling to to try and actually attend school a little bit and get the grades to get into physio and I sort of promised myself like if I gave year 12 a really good crack that then I'd defer my uni and give the cycling a really good crack the next year and I think actually having that that break in year 12 I sort of came back and within a few months was a lot better than I'd ever been and um, won the nationals and won quite a few big races and um, yeah so I sort of I've sort of always been someone that's pretty good at most sports that I would try, but I wouldn't say that I've like really overly excelled um, in everything, but yeah, cycling that did happen for cycling. And then for running, I guess I pretty quickly knew I had good endurance. Um, uh, just like even just jogging through throughout uni. I, the, the way I actually got into running and racing was I was, studying with um, a guy from Adelaide who is now quite a good runner. His name's Adrian Potter. And he had started, he was a good hockey player and he'd started doing a bit of training with a club in Adelaide called the Adelaide Harriers. And he said to me like, oh, you should come out and just train with us, just people to run with. And um, yeah, so I, I joined that squad and I think just having a good aerobic background, probably like you say, they were sort of like, oh, who, like, who are you? You're pretty decent for someone who's just started running. Yeah. Um, but again, it probably took a little while, maybe a year or so to actually think I had the um, ability to, to do anything worth putting in a lot of work for. Um, and running was running actually probably has been a bit harder because it's, it's a lot harder on the body. So cycling, you can, 
you can just jump into a full training load. And I, I did make that mistake at the beginning with running. I just thought like, oh yeah, I'm fit. I can just go and run hundred Ks a week. And a lot of, a lot of injury ensued for a couple of years before I got a bit more sensible. <laughs> so would, is that what you'd say would be your biggest learning then from when you really started jumping into running? Yeah, I think so for sure. Just that running is just so hard on the body and, once you get really fit, I think you're you're always kind of walking a a fine line, and you, I guess, patience is something yeah that I've I've learned because I think uh, like there's so many people that have potential, um, and I think it was probably pr- probably dangerous in the beginning. A few people telling me like, oh, you've got the potential to to do this or do that, and you just kind of it's, you can so easily get excited and overdo it. So I think yeah, just just being patient and. I sort of have learned now from experience as well that it's it's often better to do just a little bit less than just a little bit more. Um, yeah. And then what do you take from, let's say, both sports into your normal life now? You know, even situations that you're, put say, put under pressure. Um, what are some of those things that you take from your sport or both of your sports into life? Yeah, that's a really good question. I... I really like that question because I think that um, that one of the things I thank my parents for a lot is that they they got us all into a lot of sport when we were young, probably because we were all so hyperactive. But I think that kids kids can learn a lot from sport, and I'm pretty thankful. Like I think having played a lot of sport when I was young, and even now, like it teaches you a lot about discipline and just that routine and the fact that if you you know, no matter how hard something seems, if you put the work in, um, the results do usually come. Um, and yeah, I think that's just, they're all good life lessons that you can apply to anything really. At the top level, it's not all PBs and sunshine and records. How do you, how have you approached disappointment? Because, you know, cycling looks amazing from the outside, professional cycling, living in Europe and like I suppose two questions even what are the realities of that and then how do you approach disappointment sure okay I'll have to bookmark the second one (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so um I I agree like I remember when I first made my first Australian team I was like wow this is incredible like you get this cool uniform we're going to go to Italy um and actually my my first ever um stint in Europe we were over for a month to race junior worlds and I was in like really good shape and I remember thinking I could potentially medal and then that would like lead to a a professional contract that would potentially pay quite well. And I had a cycling, it can be a really cool sport. I had a, we had a lead up race a week out from the worlds and I had a crash and I broke my wrist pretty badly. And then that was it for, for that trip. And so there's sort of, yeah, there's lots of highs and lows that come with sport. And then I kind of learned in the, the couple of years after that, that, yeah the the reality of road cycling particularly for females but even for the males is is not very glamorous like it's a lot of um long boring days you get up you train come home eat have a nap do your second session go to bed early um you live with a group of other girls which which sounds great and often can be great but you're also living in like a we lived in this like these apartment complex in Italy. We didn't have air conditioning. We lived in like a studio apartment. So the kitchens in your bedroom and it's it's really fun. But then I think it 
it wears on you. And I was very young, so I found it very fun. But a lot of the the women that I was um, living with were like in their twenties and thirties, and some of them were married. And I sort of I, that's sort of what was the catalyst for me deciding like, well, if I'm going to give this a crack, I it's going to take years of my life, and I want to I want to have a fallback. Like I want to have a degree so that when I do eventually decide I've had enough, that I don't have to go home at 30 years of age and live with my parents and have no other sort of um no other nothing else to do um so yeah that was the that was the reality of being a cyclist but in saying that it was it was still amazing and it was great fun to travel the world and see a lot of things I never would have seen otherwise and I did love the sport I guess the the thing that um finished cycling for me was that it it is a very all-consuming sport and you do have to sort of commit your whole entire life to that for the period that you're going to do it. Um, like you can't, you can't work. It's a full-time job, but unfortunately for, for women, it's not a very well-paying job. In some cases, yeah, women, some women ride and really don't get paid at all. They just get their expenses covered. So once I started running and saw that you can sort of run and race and pursue it at a high level, but still have a job choose where you live have a family it just sort of was a a very easy decision for me then to to not go back to cycling you seem like a very no regrets person and you know giving everything a go and i suppose you could have just said no and moved on and done what you needed to do but are you that type are you still like that like you know taking on every opportunity you've been given as well uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm more like that now. I, it probably sounds simple saying it in retrospect, but it was a big decision. And I'd sort of undenied for like maybe a year and a half at the end of when I was cycling before I was confident enough to make that decision. Because you you do sort of think as well, like, oh, I've worked so hard for this and I'm, I've gotten to where I want to be. Like, is it, am I just like, you know, am I weak to quit? do I really want to do this? Will I regret it? And I certainly like my first six months of uni, I really struggled because I'd, you know, for the, for the five years before that, I'd spent most of my day outside on a bike and then just straight away, it was like a light switch. And I was sitting in lecture theatres for eight, nine hours a day. And I was just thinking, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> this is the worst decision I've ever made. So I, I definitely now am, am more of a no regrets kind of person because I, I sort of think as well, like you, no decision is ever final if you if you're really not happy reflect upon it and you can always make changes and it's never too late to to do something or change your mind and go back to what you were doing so I certainly am a lot more confident in in the decisions I make now with that experience and I suppose coming back to creating resilience you know, what you went through in Europe and, you know, what we see isn't this amazing lifestyle as a professional cyclist, but you were able to draw on that without even knowing, going sitting in a lecture theatre all day, you physically were sitting there thinking, I've done, you know, tougher things. Now I just need that yeah. mental resilience to get through this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it, yeah, there was a bit of that as well. Um if I say balance and what does it mean to you, um, well, I suppose how do you answer and then how do you seek balance in everyday life? Yeah, sure. Um, that's a funny question because I my mind changes on this. I, I, we were saying just before you started recording that we both listen to a lot of podcasts and 
I've listened, I listened to a fair few running podcasts and I've heard a few runners say recently that like balance and I agree what, with what they say balance like maybe in an over a whole year you can achieve balance but I think if yeah if you're trying to pursue something at a high level you're you know not every day or every week is going to be completely balanced and even in work I've learned that you know like you're going to have weeks where it's just crazy and busy and you've got to work late and you might have to miss a run or miss your gym session or whatever but nothing is is ever final and ever definite like it's it's not going to be a permanent thing so I've yeah I think I like to look more at a, a period of time like a, a big training block or like a whole year and sort of I like to think that on the whole that there's balance like you know you can work really hard for a a period of time and then you're going to need a bit of a break to refresh whether that be in your work life in your training life um but yeah I think for me when I was cycling I don't think I had a balance and I've certainly learned from that and um taken that into my into my life now but yeah and I think there needs to be like you know you mentioned if you're going for this massive goal like you know if it's your a race and you've got 12 weeks to build for it in a way you really do the balance needs to be really shifted to that focus right where you know okay well i've got 12 weeks where my life really is really focusing at that and you're going to be on edge even you know physically um, because you need to be pushing limits but you know that after that event and week 13 let's say after the 12 week block that's when you're going to completely almost flip it back and i suppose it's the people that get to week 12 do the event and they go i'm going to reload straight away um yes yeah yeah for sure i think and i think all um all athletes all runners any anyone who does anything at a high level we've all done that thing where you just you take it way too seriously and you're super rigid on like you, you obsess about getting enough sleep and what you eat or don't eat and missing out on social things because, you know, you, you want to be that um, perfect athlete. And I, I remember like living with a few cyclists like that. And I really tried to be like that for a long time, like, you know, go to bed at like eight o'clock, eat perfectly. And I, I actually find that I, I don't perform very well. And I'm certainly not a very happy person when I'm doing that. Like um, I think, that if you majority of the time are doing the right things, you know, eating well, making sure you get enough sleep. Um, and then, you know, if you want to have a drink with friends, have a drink. If you want to, yeah, if you, if you don't get enough sleep one or two nights, it's not the end of the world as long as it's not every night. I think it's, it's a lot, um, it's a more sustainable way to live. I think a lot of athletes that I've seen who are just so rigid, they're like, what's the saying? They, um, burn bright die quickly I can't remember the saying like a shooting star <laughs> it doesn't last very long it might be great for a period but it's really just not sustainable and I suppose it comes back to like some people can only think about running when they turn up you know if your run starts at yeah. six thirty, they only think about it at quarter past six whereas others will think about their running 24-7 and dissect a session. And what type of, let's say, runner are you? Are you the, as soon as you finish your run, look through the stats and look at the numbers? Or are you very much a do run, look at run, not really fast, close it off, come back to it tomorrow? Yeah, certainly. I do I do love stat. I do love Strava and I do look at my training peaks and stuff like that. Um, 
but I don't know. I don't like obsessed about my training really. Um, I certainly used to again, and I've learned from that, that it, you just can get to in your head and overanalyze every little thing. Um, yeah. I just tend to think about maybe if I have a big workout and I'll think about it the day before, but also sometimes it's nice not to think about the pain that is going to come. Um, but no, I'm pretty good now. It's sort of, that's something I've learned from Raf actually, that just like, it's way more important, like a really good six month period rather than like one really great workout or one really big week. Um, yeah. That you want to see a really good month, six months, year, two years. And then that's when the, the results are going to be a lot better um, and maybe more than you thought you could do. So, yeah. And you probably end up, well, you get to the point where you start disliking it um, because, you know, the anxiety might also start picking up where you go, oh, tomorrow morning I'm doing this tempo and, yes. you know, you're really overanalyzing it before you. I recently had that. I hadn't done a race since last November and I turned yeah. up to a park run and, and I was like, oh, no, what is going on here? And I, normally I could just turn up on the day and only think about the race. But mm -hmm. it's almost because we went such a long time without you know, even a hit yeah, out. Um, you're not used to that racing feeling, the jitters and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pure balance as well. Uh, you mentioned Raf. So how did you, I suppose you obviously knew you were moving here. Um, how do you put that all together? How do you go, okay, I need to find a squad. I need to find a coach. I, you know, well, how, what did you take into account to put all those things together? Yeah. Um, again, it's sort of funny. I'm, I'm pretty, um, I like to think I'm a pretty thought out person, but then I also can be quite impulsive and whimsical. So I, when I moved over here, I'd, I just had, I'd come off the back of two years of, I broke my pelvis and had a pretty crappy two years of trying to get back and just not getting back. And I'd actually gotten to a point where I thought like, Oh, maybe, maybe I had a crack at running and maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'll just jog to keep fit and I won't race. And I, my partner, um, who's a cyclist, as I mentioned, and we were heading over to Spain for the year um, for him to race. So we went over in April and I wasn't working a whole lot. And I, so I had had a bit of time to run and I just like, I'd, I'd been training with a squad in Adelaide that I'd trained with for a couple of years. And I just thought to myself like, oh, I'll just jog and see what happens. And we happened to live in a super hilly area. And I spent maybe three, four months just jogging every other day through the trails and gradually built up how much I was running. And then the last month before we came home, we went to Belgium, which is the polar opposite of where we lived in super flat. And I, yeah, my first few runs there, I thought like, Oh, I'm actually like, I'm quite fit. This is funny. Cause you don't realize when you're running so much hills, like everything's so slow and everything feels so hard. Um, so yeah, I sort of came back from Europe and that was the end of, 2019 yeah end of 2019 and so I'd I'd been living in Perth for six months but we'd really only been in Perth for a month and came back to Perth and I was running maybe 60 70 k's a week and I thought actually I'll give this running thing another crack and uh, Tom Bruins is a duathlete who my partner Michael knew and I knew Tom ran with front runner and I said to Tom like oh do you reckon I could come run with the squad and he just yeah he's like oh talk to Raph if you want to be coached and I thought for a while like oh maybe I just I've been going well coaching myself but I sort of thought I'd, I'd gotten myself fit but it's a different thing to get yourself race ready and progress and target goals so yeah I just contacted Raf and said hey I sort of want to train again and that was it that was yeah 
about a year and a half ago now. And what was that first turn up session? Because you obviously, well, you would have known, it's almost like when you join a new football club or so, you know, like a lot of people come in and go, I used to play this level. And, but that pure reality when, you know, you're turning up and you've got guys like Dean and Nick and Thomas and Mira and, you know, and did you know what you were walking into and yeah, like what, what kind of pressure did you then put on yourself and maybe even the pressure that was put on you? Yeah, I, I sort of kept the cycling thing to myself and pretty quiet about it to begin with because I, I knew when I trained with the group in Adelaide and a few guys knew I was a reasonably good bike rider, then, yeah, people get high hopes. And I just sort of thought, like, oh, I've been there. I just kind of want to go under the radar and just slowly get fit, not have any expectations. And I also I also thought it would be good going to a squad where, yeah, that's Nick. I knew, I knew who Nick and Dean and Tom and Nira were and I was pretty lucky that Nira had really like just joined the group like about a month before me um and yeah I just sort of like flew under the radar for a bit there was a few I was running a fair bit with Jules Bennett who's Uh anyone in Perth will know Jules pretty well and she was actually like just she'd just joined the squad as well and she was just coming back from injury so so we sort of yeah my very first session I ran with her and I thought oh this is great there was you know it's I think it's really good when there's people in front of you people with you people behind you you're always you're always being pushed either to not get caught or to chase the people in front of you and I've always sort of thought it's important to be in a group where there are people better than you because that's what pushes you to get better (laughs) did you did you get spat out or you know was it getting did you get to the end and go oh geez thankfully I hung on there Um, what was that I certainly wasn't (laughs) I wasn't running with Nira at all. Well, we were jogging together, but because um, we sort of got on pretty well from the beginning. But I certainly wasn't with her in sessions and until several months into training. <laughs> and then, do you do you reflect on that? So, do you sit there and go, you know, when I first came here, there was no way I was training near this person, and then now you're having a 10k hit out with her, and you know, do you ever stop and actually like let's say pinch yourself and have that moment? Yeah, for sure. Even like just, I, re- I probably remember the first session where I just kept up and I was like, oh, I think I was just off the back. And I think I remember Nira saying like, oh, wow, shit, that was a really good session. <laughs> like, and I, yeah, and I think it's like anyone, sometimes you're like, yeah, like, wow, like I'm improving. Like, this is kind of cool. Uh, I think I was pretty, I was pretty sensible in having had so many injuries in the past. I, I really took things slowly and um, didn't, didn't push myself um, too crazy. And yeah, I think I realized probably after my first six months in the group, I'd, we started doing a few races and I like improved all my, all my PBs straight away. And that's when I really thought like, okay, yeah, Raf's, Raf's onto something here with a sensible approach, like slow build up, um, progress and performance over a long period of time. And yeah, so he sold it well. (laughs) How do you fight generation now? So I'm sure you probably didn't, everyone would ask you at least once a week, when are you going to do a marathon? When are you going to do a marathon? And, <laughs> you know, the, the everyday punter, it's very much 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon within, you know, the first year because everyone yeah. sees that marathon as the only way to get, let's say, recreational respect um, in a conversation. And, you know, that's the same thing people will be asking you, looking at your time, saying, oh, can't wait to see you run a marathon. But 
you seem to really just be going, hang on, let's well and truly get these blocks sorted. And, you know, you mentioned RAF slow progression, but you as an individual now, how do you stop that want for, for it to be happening now? Yeah. When I started running, like that was actually, I was like, yeah, classic recreational runner. I was like, oh, I just want to run a marathon. That's what I'll do. And um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I guess uh, because I'm seeing progress over like five and 10 and even like I haven't done a 3K for a long time, but I would like to do one. I think because I'm still seeing progress, I've sort of, I've been told from other people and I've learned that like the, the best thing to do is to sort of get as fast as you can max out your speed before you go long and having having had lots of injuries in the past um, I still I still don't do a huge volume and so I just sort of think if I can keep getting quick and just really slowly build um, build up my volume that yeah there really isn't any rush and sort of especially seeing now you know a lot of our a lot of our best marathon runners are in their forties. Like I know the Olympic team's not picked yet, but the three of the two of the three women qualified are literally in their forties. So, you know, I'm, I'm 29. So I've still got a bit of time, I think. So, yeah, I just, I just am pretty keen to really get quicker over the five and the 10. I think I've got a lot of room to move there. And then I've also got a lot of room to move with my training. So I, I genuinely don't think I'll do a marathon for probably two more years ish. And then I suppose even by that time, you know, when you do step into the marathon, you're almost really, you can look back on all the work you've done. Whereas, you know, if you did a marathon, you're training with marathoners and you're keeping up with them. But if you jumped in now, it potentially well and truly spits you out and you almost get scared of it and you don't want to go near it again. Yeah. And I I think as well, like, yeah, like I do a lot of jogging and running um, if I'm thinking women like with Jules and Nira and whilst you know whilst I might be keeping up with them in the jogs and um, you know keeping up with Nira in the shorter stuff like it's a it's a whole different ball game I think um, you know to be running that same speed later like that they'll be doing a, a fair bit more volume than me throughout the week so yeah I think I think it is a different a different thing the marathon and I do, yeah, I need to, to build up my training certainly a bit more before I give that a go. How coachable are you? So are you... Oh, you'd have to yeah. ask Raph that question. <laughs> are you program <laughs> comes <really> in, <laughs> are you program comes in, do the program, don't want to know, but don't care about why you've given me that? Or are you the inquisitive athlete where uh, I want to know why you set that many sets, why you gave me that tempo, why the long run has this in, um, just more for self-interest, but then also so you can reflect on it. You're like, what what type of athlete are you? Yeah, no, I think I'm pretty coachable. I like I like having a coach because a lot of people sort of say like, oh, you're a physio, can't you coach yourself? Or, um, but I like not having to think about why I'm doing what I'm doing and just doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like. I'm pretty lucky with Raf in that we we catch up pretty regularly and he'll sort of without me asking you know talk about why we're doing what we're doing and I mean he's a he's a physio as well so I think a lot of the stuff he says I just get but um I think I think if you trust your coach and um you have a good working relationship like I yeah I sort of I trust the sort of progression that Raph is setting out and he trusts me and that 
like you, you know your body better than anyone and if I'm a bit flat or feeling it a bit much he's yeah he's the first person to say just jog take a day off don't do your session whatever it is um so yeah I think if you if you trust your coach and you have a good relationship then um yeah in my experience anyway then I don't really think about the training at all I'm just happy to show up and do it somebody's asked me to ask you um what are your favorite and least favorite sessions and for the least how do you work on changing that mindset going into them sure um I I got asked this question actually recently and I had a I was going to say a really boring answer but like I actually I really like the variety of a week so I find that like I love I love doing the track workouts but if we were doing them three times a week I probably wouldn't like I I do like the variety that we do um my least favorite workout is I don't like 800s on the track I find that <laughs> like they're fast but they're it's a like I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at going quick over a short distance like I guess relatively quick for a long distance runner and I'm good at going long at that sort of comfortably uncomfortable but I find the 800 is like this horrible in the middle place where you're going really hard and the last 300 meters just always feels terrible um but I mean like we you know we don't tend to do we have a, a good sort of a, a rotation so we don't have to do them too often and I think the the best way to get through them is to do them with other people I think if I had to do that session solo I would probably hate it <laughs> Yeah, I blew up two weeks ago that. doing 800 oh. on the track. It, it was not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we do like a five by 800. And whenever I see that, if I sometimes if I look ahead at my program, I think, oh, God, why did I do that? <laughs> and <laughs> somebody's asked me to ask you, when you get back on the bike, so if you just go out for a well, Sunday morning ride, yeah. are you competitive? No, not at all. Actually, not at all. It's funny because when I, um, being that um, my partner's still a cyclist, w when we lived in Europe and I would be at a lot of his racing or whenever I'd go to watch some of his racing, people would always say like, oh, do you, do you miss it? And it's funny because it was really weird. I remember like the, when I decided to stop cycling, I'd, I'd probably had my best season, my last season. And I remember thinking like, oh, maybe, maybe even though like I'm not making much money and I have to fully commit my life to this and not do anything else maybe I could do this and then I remember getting home from Europe and the day I got home I, I woke up and I was like oh god I'm, I can't go back I don't want to do that again <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore and then just yeah literally since that moment I've never really I've never really missed it I've never I've never watched a race and thought like oh I really want to be out there um I think something I probably learned from cycling that's that sort of suits me better with running is that I love the routine of training and I love being fit um, and I like having like physical pursuits um, but I didn't necessarily love the racing side of cycling because there was I was sort of good at hills and good at very specific races and you race really really often and it's not often that you do well in a race or have a race that suits you whereas with running you you really sort of you, you certainly don't race as frequently and you, you really target races that suit you. So, yeah, that's the that's something that I enjoy more about running. <laughs> but, no, to answer your question, I I am not competitive at all. I like to <laughs> roll along. I may be in a bunch ride. I would I would enjoy dropping a few of the guys. Or I used to – I remember I used to cycle to uni, actually, and um, 
just in like casual clothes on a fixie. And I used to get a kick out of jumping in onto the brunch rides because I would sort of ride down this main highway for 10Ks into uni and I would sort of jump in the brunch rides just in my casual clothes and you'd see the guys trying to drop you and probably just thinking like, who is this moron just trying yeah, to jump shit. into our brunch ride on a fixie? <laughs> so, but more just for fun, not not for competition. <laughs> and then they'd get home and check Strava and go, oh, Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or I, for a while I had my, I still had my AIS backpack. So I think they'd see that eventually and be like, oh, this is something. Yeah. <laughs> um, who inspires you? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have any, like, um, I'm not like super obsessed with any particular runners. Um, we've certainly got, I mean, well, actually we've got some really inspiring runners on the scene at the moment. Um, Sinead Diver, not just because we share a name, but um, I think her story is really cool and it's just great to see a, a normal person who found something she's really good at and manages to pursue it while obviously still having responsibilities of work and family. Um, but, yeah, any any athlete that's achieving um, at a high level in their sport and sort of, you know, balancing it with normal life I find pretty inspiring. Um but also, like, my, my teammates inspire me. So same thing goes, like, for Nira and Jules, seeing them work and train a lot more than I do um, and manage to be good at everything they're doing in their life. Um, my mum inspires me, my family. Yeah, I, I sort of draw inspiration from a lot of different people for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, what's on your bucket list? Ooh. Um, well, I would like to run a marathon. I'm sure that I'll do that. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm old enough to have a bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Even races, um, like are there any races yeah. around the world that you, you know, that one day you'd love to say I've done it? Yeah, I, I would love to do um, some of the world major marathons like New York looks like a pretty cool marathon. London looks like a quick course. Um, we used to live in Spain where we lived was not too far from Valencia. So that, um, that's a pretty quick half marathon from, from what I know. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, there's a lot of things I sort of aspire to do, but I've never really thought about, about bucket list items. I like traveling. I want to have a family, things like that. Cool. Uh, you mentioned podcasts, any recommendations? Yeah, so I, I think I said to you, I'm a bit of a news nerd. I listen to a few news podcasts in the morning, um, just like literally just like the 7 a.m. ABC podcast and the 7 News podcast. Um, running podcast, I listen to Inside Running um, cool. and I listen to Relaxed Running and there's another one. I should see if I can find it without cutting this Skype call off. Um, <laughs> there's another running one I started listening to recently. Um, run yeah, culture oh yeah with Dane and uh, yeah and I listen to I listen to some cycling podcasts still um, my my sister-in-law works for a cycling podcast called Life in the Peloton with a professional cyclist Mitch Docker oh yeah that's a yep. cool podcast um, I was, was for, for a while Sorry, say what were you I remember they had the um the tour doctor on, I think, not so long ago and I was talking about, you know, the gravel rash, um, how you almost oh, yeah. use a scourer. And I was yeah. sitting there going, Wow, like that is yeah, I hadn't even mentioned the first time they get the doctor to do it, but then after that they always have to do it to themselves and 
Yeah, oh, I've got a few. Like I remember having a few crashes, and you get road rash, and you just back at your hotel. Yeah, with the shower head trying to get the gravel out of you. I've actually got a few. I've got one on my knee where I've still got a nice bit of gravel that I can see and poke around. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. At times like that, you sort of would be thinking to yourself, why do I do this? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm into lots of different podcasts and I used to listen to a lot of crime podcasts, but I listened to podcasts when I run and I started scaring myself, so I've stopped doing that. Um, yeah, ABC Conversations. I like a good, like a story, um, like a life story interview with people. Um, yeah, they're probably my, my regular ones. Yeah, like it's sometimes I was we're saying um, off record that it's nice to listen to things that are not really, let's say, your wheelhouse and you're yeah. just learning a lot more about, like for me, I've listened to recently um, a lot of the current conversation around Canberra and as a male, mm. I've learned so much just even, you know, about the risks for females who run and, yeah, you know, yeah. we take for granted as a male that this morning we ran at 5.30 in the pitch black darkness five guys but even if that was a group of five females they wouldn't feel safe around that um, situation and yeah yeah like we've only really started to grasp that now and I think it's because of the message that is out there and even through podcasts and picking up that message yeah for sure that's I think that's why I like podcasts as well you do yeah you sort of makes you think about things you never really think about and yeah learn about different different people different cultures different ways of life it's just yeah good way to good way to sort of learn a bit whilst exercising good multitasking and the question that I normally finish with and ask all guests is what advice would you give to your younger self oh I like that question um I would probably just say uh to my younger self or anyone to the younger self to sort of always trust yourself trust your intuition um certainly think about things um uh, before you act but yeah that usually go with your gut um and like I said before nothing's nothing's ever permanent you can always change your mind um yeah cool well uh thanks so much and hopefully I get to see you going around manga soon and when you fly by just give me a, a tap on the shoulder um, <laughs> once you've done your two laps and I'm still there hanging on for my one. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks so much. And I know there's a lot of people that will um, have enjoyed getting to know you a bit better. And uh, when they see you out now, they'll probably give you a wave and, uh, and know a bit more about you. So thanks so much, yeah. Sinead. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Thanks for the chat. This episode of the Stimulate Run podcast is brought to you in partnership with Aqualite. Aqualite is a product which supports effective hydration through rapid absorption. It's formulated to replace electrolytes lost through sweat and is Australian owned and operated. I hope you enjoy this episode.